0: Let's give it up for or... <laughs> Good morning. Well, let's go ahead. We're gonna start and, uh, with some prayer and then we'll jump right into the passage today. Father, I, I just ask that you would come, you'd draw near to us, you'd make your presence known to us. Lord, we ask that as we look at some of the passages that we're going to examine this morning, it wouldn't be just information, but it would be just revelation and life-changing, just as you write on our hearts and on our minds those truths that, that will help us to see you and know you and walk with you better. So come and have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... We have been going through a series uh, looking at the patriarchs, looking at Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and trying to glean not just, as I said, not just information, not just learning stories about individuals' lives, but what we want to do in looking at the patriarchs, those who stand as a, a model of of what it looks like to walk with God, we want to understand principles but more than that we want to come and, and glean something learn something about God who he is how he desires to to impact and to to uh, to come and, and touch our lives and we want to understand most especially the, the 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 reality of how we can walk with him here on earth how we can integrate our lives with his purposes so you, you remember last week? We, we at this point in our series, we have talked about Abraham. We've talked about Isaac, and we began to talk about the life of Jacob. And last week, we looked at a, uh, a passage in Genesis chapter twenty-eight that really uh, focused for for uh, Jacob in particular, and really uh, for us as well. Focuses on this this. Uh, interaction, this this joining together of our life with God's life. And we talked last week, and this is just by way of review to catch everybody up, because this is sort of a part two of last, last week's sermon. Last week we talked about two theological threads that we can see holding the scriptures together. Two themes in the Bible that help us to understand what, The scriptures are about because as I mentioned last week, it's so easy to approach the Bible as just a collection of stories and and spiritual principles that have been thrown together and we look at it and we approach it as if we can just sort of, you know, pick out anywhere and there'll be something nice, a nice story, a nice principle that we can learn from. But the fact of the matter is there is really one common theme, one common thread that holds the entirety of scriptures together from Genesis right on through to Revelation. And the, the, the first theme that we talked about last week, just by way of review, is the, the theme or the theology of the kingdom of God. And we define the kingdom of God as God's reign and God's rule. That the intention of God from the beginning of time, the, the purposes of God that are revealed on every page and every chapter of the Bible, is his desire to bring his reign and his rule into this, into this world. That he wants to, as, as he taught the disciples to pray in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he wants his will to be done on earth as it's being done in heaven. So this this theme, this thread of the kingdom of God is seen throughout the scriptures, and it helps us to understand how the various stories are held together. You remember again, just by way of review, we remember in, in the garden, in the first two chapters of, of Genesis, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And then what happened in chapter 2 was a a ripping, a tearing apart of this communion. What God desires for his people is that they can walk with him, they can know him, that, that he is accessible to his people. And he was there in the garden with Adam and Eve, fully present to them. But then in, in Genesis chapter 2, obviously, we, we, we know there is a, a great fall, sin entered the world, and for the first time, that, that communion, that joining, that relationship was just ripped in apart. It was just torn in two, and all of a sudden we see Adam and Eve hiding from God, and I want us to understand That from chapter 3 in Genesis through to Revelation chapter 22, that the entirety of the scriptures are simply recording the rescue mission that God undertook, the rescue mission of God in reestablishing what was lost in the garden, recapturing his kingdom, his reign unruled, so that no longer would there be an alienation and a separation between God and his creatures. No longer would heaven be way out there, but earth is an entirely different reality. But there would be a reclaiming, a reestablishing of that connection. So the kingdom of God, God's desire to bring his good grace, his good peace, his joy, his justice... His truth to earth—that is what this is all about. We talked also about the theology of the incarnation. Incarnation simply meaning God becoming flesh, God be taking on human form. And again, throughout the Old Testament, certainly the New Testament, we see that theme. We see God stepping off the very th- His, His throne in heaven and coming. And, and manifesting, revealing himself to us. So the, the theology of the kingdom, the theology of, of the incarnation of God becoming human, becoming flesh, drawing near to us, coming close to us, being accessible to us, is something that is, is not just a, uh, some kind of a, a, a topic that's interesting to look at. It's what makes the Bible... Totally clear, and it what it's what makes this this walk with God clear, and true, and valuable. See, a, apart from this reality that God has come close, what I, what I referred to last week as as open heaven theology—that that the, the divide between heaven and earth has been been di- taken down, it's di- it dissolved, it's evaporated. Apart from open heaven, then when we when we gather and, and, and worship it's just singing songs. But if God is present and there is not this this barrier between heaven and earth, then it takes on it takes on an entirely different different meaning and different purpose With, Without this open heaven and this accessibility of God, then when we, when we Read the Bible, that's all we're doing is we're reading the Bible, we're getting information. But if God is present, if God is real, then it's not just that we're reading the Bible, but the Bible gets to read us. God gets to write his truth in our hearts and in our lives, and and it can make a difference. Without this open heaven theology, then... Really, the the Christian life is is just a matter of being a member of a church and joining a a, a spiritual club. But since God is present to us and God is drawn near to us, and there's no longer, as we'll see, as we saw last week and we'll continue to look at today, there's no longer this this wall between heaven and earth separating us from God, separating God from us, well, then then the Christian life takes on an entirely different meaning. And it's not a matter of just being a member of a church. It's a matter of walking with the living God. So we're talking about this concept of of open heaven theology. The kingdom of God, the incarnation, God drawing near. And what is enormously important, not just to us, not to me, but to God is that his children, his people, understand this truth. That it saturates our understanding. That it, it permeates how we think of our lives from when we open our eyes in the morning to when we close our eyes at night. That God is present to us. And every follower of God needs to have this understanding and needs to have continual Revelation, experience of God's fingerprints active in our lives. Where we begin to have eyes that can see and and ears that can hear his movements, his, his activities in our lives, in our families, in our church. So this, this separation between heaven and earth really is man's construct. It's something that we have developed because it helps us, it helps us feel like our, our, our expectations aren't falling short. See, if, if God is far away and we can't really approach him and he's not drawn near to us, then we don't have to feel the the least bit uncomfortable when we're trying to see through the fog. We don't have to feel awkward that, that the activity of God is, is, sometimes, is sometimes foggy and difficult to experience. But God would rather us know that he is available, know that he is approachable. He'd rather us recognize that he has transcended He has come down. He has drawn near and let us live in that that mystery and live in that fog and desire and and hunger and thirst for more and more of his presence than for us just to become satisfied and say, oh no, he's far away. And, And someday, someday when Jesus returns, then we'll see him. But now we just... We just live by principles. Because without this truth, this truth of of kingdom theology, of God bringing his reign and rule to earth, without that truth, then we simply are living by principles. But if God has drawn near, if he's come close to us, if he's accessible to us, then we not only have principles, but we have His power, we have His presence in our lives. And if that's not our reality, if that's not the reality that's growing and, and, and taking hold in our hearts and our minds as, as His children and as a church, then, then we ought to just take the sign down out front and, and, and shut the doors. Because most of us have other things we could do on Sunday morning than just to talk about principles. But if God is present, if God has drawn near, if he is accessible to us, then there's every reason for us to continue to press in, to draw nearer, come to understand and be apprehended by this truth. Now last week we talked about Jacob's vision. of uh, he, he had a vision one night, and he, what he saw was his revelation, at least one of them, of this concept of open heaven. Remember last week in Genesis chapter 28, he, he went to sleep and he had this vision, this dream where there was a ladder from earth to heaven, and he saw angels going up the ladder, coming down the ladder, and on the top of the ladder, he, he saw God himself saying, Jacob, I am with you. Jacob, Jacob, I've drawn near. I see what you're doing, and I'll walk with you. And he sees in this vision the, the angels, the messengers of God, going up, coming down, the, the, the barrier between heaven and earth was obliterated, it had disappeared, and it changed Jacob's life forever. When he realized that God was one who could be known, who wasn't like the idols of the pagan countries who who had eyes but couldn't see, and ears that couldn't, and couldn't hear, and arms that couldn't, couldn't reach and touch. But when Jacob had a revelation that God could come down and touch his life, God was aware of his life. God wanted to be involved in his life and that he could draw right into the very presence of God himself. It changed everything. And we, we need that revelation as well. We need to come to understand who God is and learn how we can walk with him and walk in his power so that it's not just simply we have a rule book of principles but we have a living God that we keep in step with. And, and this just, uh, as an aside, this was, this was the passion. This was the, the, the driving force in what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament wanted to communicate to the churches that he planted. That we have more than just principles. More than just a body of truth. We have a God who's drawn near. We have God who gives power to do those things so that his, his reign and his rule, his intentions, could be established here on earth. In, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, listen to what he said to, to this young disciple of his. Paul says to, to young Timothy, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then in verse 5, this is what I want us to get to. In verse 5 he says, They'll have the form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. Paul said, Timothy, I want you to realize that there will be individuals who outwardly will talk spiritually, will talk about God. They'll have that that spiritual robe that they'll put on. They'll have the form of spirituality or the form of godliness, but they'll be denying the power of God's presence. And he says, have nothing to do with them. See, he wasn't talking about the, the folks in the world, pagans. The, the, he was talking about those who say they're following God, following Christ, but don't want to come to know him and be known by him and walk in his power. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, listen, my message And my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power." Paul recognized that this reality of open heaven, that God is with us, that his, his power is available to us, his power for dealing with our own sin, his power for overcoming the wounds from, from sins committed against us, his power to know how to, to interact and how to work well, and his, his power to know how to, to raise our children, his power to, to be able to bring his will and his reign and his purposes from heaven to earth. Paul wanted to make sure they understood that that's the model. That he didn't just come with words that the Christian life isn't just about words and and principles. But it's about the power of God that's accessible. So let's continue to follow this thread of open heaven. Of God being present. Of his power being available. Let's, Let's continue to follow this thread through the scriptures. God's kingdom slicing from heaven to earth. You know, we we could go, we can continue to to go through the Old Testament. We see we see Moses, who had his revelation of God's presence. When he he saw the burning bush, and God spoke to Moses and said he he has purposes for Moses' life. I mean, do you see the theme here that God wants every one of his followers, every one of his children to know there's a purpose for your life. He wants everyone in this room to recognize he sees you, he knows you, he, he has a purpose for your life. And whether he appears to you in a burning bush, whether he comes to you in a dream, whether he just writes his purposes on your heart and on your mind, we need to be captivated and captured by the reality that he is present for us, present to us as purposes and power in order to do his will. Amen. Thank you. You guys can do that anytime you want. You know, we, Michael referred to it during our worship about the, 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 the within the... The uh, tabernacle, as, as Moses was leading his people out of, the, out of Egypt, in the center of his people, in the center of the, their encampment was a tabernacle, it was, it was a portable temple. And within that tabernacle, there was the Holy of Holies. And within that small room, was the very presence of God. And during the day, the the people of Israel could come out of their tents and they'd see a pillar, uh, just a cloud hovering over that Holy of Holies, hovering over that that temple, that tabernacle. And at night, they would open up their, their tent and look out and there they'd see a pillar of fire over the tabernacle because God wanted His people to know that He was with them. He wasn't far, far away, beyond the wall, but he was with them in their encampment. Understanding, though, in the Old Testament, only one priest, one time a year, on one single day, was able to enter in to that Holy of Holies, where the very presence of God, what was referred to as the Shekinah glory, was there. Only one person had access but it was enough because the Israelites knew he's with us and our representative could go in there and see him and talk to him. We see in the Old Testament God's voice continually calling out to his people. Much of the Old Testament is the recordings of the the prophets and the prophets continually God's voice speaking to his people, encouraging them, sometimes warning them explaining how to walk with Him. And over and over, we see in the Old Testament how the people of God, the Israelites, continually pushed God out, pushed Him away. Said, we're not interested. What's interesting, catch this, what's interesting is finally, after literally centuries of rejection, centuries of of. of God's people saying, we're not interested. We're not not interested in your presence or in your purposes or in your kingdom coming. What was God's judgment? How did God try to get their attention finally? The Israelites entered into a time about 400 plus years of silence where there was no prophet, where God said, I'll let you see what it's like to not have my presence, not have my voice come near. That was the judgment of God, and Israel went through 400 years of silence where, where God indeed was far, far away. That's the judgment of God when we don't walk in an experiential awareness of His presence, His voice, His power, being available to us. And then suddenly, after 400 plus years of of silence, suddenly, in and out of that silence, came a voice. And John the Baptist, who was just basically an Old Testament prophet, recorded in the New Testament, John the Baptist comes walking out of the wilderness, fulfilling what Isaiah prophesied when he said there will be a voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the the way of the Lord. John the Baptist comes and he's picking locusts out from between his teeth and he's dressed in in, uh, clothing made of of, uh, wild animals and he's drinking honey. And he says a few things. He says, prepare the way of the Lord, and he says, repent. He spoke to Israel. He spoke to God's people. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent simply means to stop what you're doing and turn around. Stop what you're doing and pay attention. The message of John the Baptist was stop, listen, look, because the Kingdom of God, God's reign and his rule is at the door. It's at hand. And and why was the kingdom of God at hand? Because the king had stepped off the throne of heaven, was born as a little baby in a manger, and now was about to enter into his earthly ministry. The kingdom of God was at hand because the king had come, had incarnated, had become human. The second person of the Trinity referred to as as the Word of God. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. If this was a a novel we were reading, this passage, this scene, this passage, this, this chapter would be entitled, you know, Enter the King, because that's exactly what was happening. John was there calling for people to stop and to repent, to turn around and to recognize that the king had come to, to reestablish what was lost in the garden. And then one day as John was, was baptizing people into the baptism, into the symbolic outward expression of the repentance by going into the water, saying, I, I, I want to, to be attentive to the, the purposes of the king in my life. One day, all of a sudden, Jesus walks up and John says, oh, he recognizes who he is. He recognizes that this is the Messiah. This is the king. And he said, I, I'm not worthy to baptize you. There's no need to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, I must get baptized. Because Jesus came to identify himself with humanity. So Jesus gets baptized. Listen to what it says about that that scene, that that incident. It says in verse 21, chapter 3 of Luke, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized baptized too and as he was praying heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased literally we have open heaven and the voice of the father our Heavenly Father. The Father God speaks and says to Jesus and says of Jesus in the hearing of people who who had not heard God's voice through human beings for 400 years, much less directly, says, this is my Son. That's my Son, who I love and am well pleased an amazing, amazing statement. The the, the Heavenly Father gushing over the Son of God. Heaven opened. The Holy Spirit came on Jesus as He was entering in to His earthly ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, just shortly thereafter. Jesus walks into a, a temple... And as was the custom, they would hand a rabbi the, uh, the scroll to read the passage for that day. They said, Rabbi Jesus, won't you read this passage for today out of Isaiah 61? Jesus un- opened the scroll, began to read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. This is Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoner, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What Jesus was saying, as as the king of kings who had come to earth, he was saying, when the king is present, when the reign and the rule of God begins to slice in from heaven to earth, you begin to see a reestablishing of what was lost in the garden. You begin to see the the brokenness in the human body. Blind eyes opened. You begin to see deaf ears opened. The lame begin to walk. The power of death taken away. You begin to see those who are oppressed set free. The favor, the goodness, the grace, the mercy of God draws near. See, that's the evidence. That's the evidence of God's presence. That we see in ever-increasing ways the intentions of God, the purposes of God, the reign and the rule of God being reestablished. We see in increasing manner what was lost in the garden being taken back. How do we know God is present? Because we see his fingerprints. We see his activity. We see more and more evidence of of people being healed physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. That's what happens when the kingdom comes. That's what happens when there's open heaven. It's interesting in Luke chapter 7... John the Baptist at this point, was, he was uh, thrown in prison. He, John, was, he knew that his life was coming to an end, that he was going to be executed. And he, John, well, I'll read the story. <laughs> Luke chapter 7, verse 18. John's disciples told John, they came to the prison, and they said, uh, they told him about these things. You know, what Jesus was doing, healing the sick, raising the dead, and calling two of them, he, he sent them to Jesus, to the Lord, to ask. John says, you go to Jesus and you ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? I mean, John knows that his, his days are numbered. He didn't want to be put to death. John the Baptist didn't want to die in prison wondering, did I get it right? I, I was supposed to, to make way the, the coming of the king, he wanted to make sure he didn't, didn't get the wrong guy. He didn't get Fred, and not, not the Messiah. So he says to these two disciples of his, John the Baptist says, now you go and ask him, ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really God who has come to earth? Listen to how Jesus responds. They they go, they talk to Jesus, they ask the questions. Verse 21, it says, At that very time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, who had just asked him, Are you the one John wants to know? Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard the blind receive sight the lame walk and those who have leprosy are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor he didn't say yeah tell john i'm the guy he didn't have to he said you just tell john what you see because jesus knew that john knew that these were the this was the evidence Of God's presence. This was the evidence. That the king had come near. It's what is evidence. That God is in our homes. That God is in our churches. That God is in our lives. When we see a restoration. Of what was lost in the garden. Physical, spiritual, relational, emotional. Wholeness. Coming back. Being reclaimed. Reestablished. In an increasing manner. The disciples of John uh, get that information, go back to John and say, well, all he told us, he didn't really answer your question, John. He just said, tell him to blind, see, lepers are cleansed, blah, blah, blah. That's all John needed to hear because he knew oh, that's the king. That's the evidence of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God slicing in from heaven to earth. We need to be a people who hunger and who thirst for that, who desire to see this evidence. Jesus' earthly ministry continued. There was evidence of his kingdom being salted wherever he walked. And it was all leading up to the most astounding, the most amazing event in all of human history. When this this returning king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who's come to earth, taking on the form of a human being, when the returning king becomes a suffering servant. And all of a sudden, after three years of this earthly ministry, the one who his followers recognized, our king has returned, suddenly is being nailed to a cross like a common criminal. And and they didn't understand it. You're a king, what's happening? Because they didn't understand that it was the driving intention of Jesus to deal with the consequence of what took place in the garden. The Bible makes it clear that the penalty, the results, the fruit of sin is death, spiritual death, spiritual separation from God, a cessation of open heaven, physical death eventually. And Jesus came, not just to draw near to his people, but to deal with that core issue that separated human beings from their God. When Jesus went to the cross, he went as a substitute. When Jesus went to the cross, he had no sin in and of himself, but he took on our sin. He became our servant. So when Jesus died... Our sins, every sin that we've committed in the past, every sin that you're going to commit today, every sin that you'll commit in the future, he took to himself so that there would be nothing, nothing that would stand between us and his throne. There would be nothing that would break this relationship, this communion, this open heaven. That's the power, the purpose of the cross. And you remember, and Michael referred to it earlier, l- listen to what happened as, as Jesus was nailed to the cross, dying. It says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, this is Matthew 27, verse 50, and cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit, he, he died. And at that moment, that curtain Of the temple was torn in two. That curtain that separated Israel from being able to to draw into the Holy of Holies, except for one person, one day a year, that curtain was torn in two, not by the Israelites, but from top to bottom. God Himself said, That which has separated man, that which has closed off heaven, has been taken away because of what Jesus accomplished. Since Genesis chapter 2, God has been relentlessly, passionately running to the cross so that we could have full access. And for those into the, in the old covenant, they looked forward to the cross. And for, uh, for us... We look back to the cross, but it's the cross. It's the coming of God, this who took on the form of man, the king becoming a suffering servant. It permanently opened heaven up for us. Following that, you know, we, we read in, in Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had died, he said, now I want you to wait until that which I promised has come. And in Acts chapter 2 we see heaven again in, in essence open up and as the disciples in the upper room just waited and were, you know, to see what, what they should do next all of a sudden it, it said a noise like a, a mighty wind began to fill that, that room that house where they were. And they themselves just like at Jesus' baptism received the Holy Spirit ushering in for us in the New Covenant, ushering in this opportunity to not just know about God, not just be able to have God with us, but God in us, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit within us, writing His words on our hearts and on our minds. So so here we are. The kingdom of God has come the very intentions of God from the beginning of scriptures to reestablish what was lost in the garden, to bring his kingdom, to bring his reign and rule, to bring open heaven, has come. But there's an aspect of where it's still coming. I mean, we don't see it fully, do we? But we, we get to taste, have a foretaste of it. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says that we get to taste the power of the age that is to come. We we may not be sitting down at the banquet feast and, and having the fullness present to us. But we get to taste of the power. We get to experience his presence. We get to take those handfuls of heaven and bring them into our home and into our workplace and into our community and our neighborhoods and into our own lives. And indeed, just finishing up here, if you, if you read the last couple of chapters of Revelation, it'll, it'll all be totally fulfilled. Revelation chapter 21 John in his vision says, I I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, this earth passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God and, they, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the, older, for the old order of things has passed away and he who is seated on the throne, said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I mean, we see recorded there at the end of Revelation the absolute fulfillment of everything God intended, a new heaven and a new earth, no broken bodies. But it's something that we can recognize is not just something we still wait for because we get to taste. We have a foretaste of the power of this age that is to come. We don't have our new bodies yet, but we can see more and more healing and restoration. We are not totally set free. There are still a few tears being shed we can see God's presence impacting our lives bringing wholeness lifting oppression we may not be having the roast beef because there's going to be roast beef served at the marriage feast of the lamb I'm quite certain of that we we may not have the roast beef but we get to come into the very presence of God and partake to get a taste of what it's like the kingdom of God is here And the kingdom of God is coming. I'm not going to take the time, but you read the the last chapter of Revelation. And you see the garden, in essence, being restored. And I don't know about you, but I want to partake of as much of that as is possible here and now. And I believe the only thing that gets in the way of our experiencing open heaven isn't really an issue of God's holding back. It's an issue of what we want. You go before God with a thimble and you say, won't you just give me this? He gives us a thimble full. You go with a tumbler and say, give me this much? And he fills that up. You go to God with a, bucket, a barrel and say I want all that I can have (coughs) and you get a barrel full and if we're going to be a people here in Sunbury, Ohio walking with God together I want all that we can have, I want all that I can have in my own life, I want all that I can have in my home and for my children for my friends and therefore we just continually go and say Jesus Can I have more? Can I have more? There's still brokenness, Jesus, in my life. Come fix me. There's still oppression. There's still sadness. Come and lift me up. And we get to take handfuls of heaven. We get to see the kingdom of God come. His reign and rule come. His will be done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. Amen is right. Now here's what I want to do as we finish up today. We have, we have a few minutes. Undoubtedly, there are people here today who are carrying heaviness. It might be emotional. It might be relational. It might be physical. We carry just the, the evidence of the fall. And I believe that God is saying, do you want to see the evidence of that kingdom slicing in? Do you want to see the evidence of my goodness slicing in, breaking into your lives? Well, then ask for it. Expect it. So what I want to do, just as we finish up, if you're here today and, you, and there, are some, there are things that you just really, you just need God's, breakthrough you need his kingdom you need his healing you need his emotional uh, strengthening you need to have some tears wiped away I just want you to stand up right where you're at just just go ahead and stand up if you have a need that you want to see God fulfill if you have big needs hold up a barrel if all you want today is a thimble full and hold up a thimble but if you have a need today just stand up right where you're at anyone else Pretty good deal. Okay. Now here's what I'm asking. For those of you who aren't standing, I want you to see those who are standing around you and just simply go up to them, find out what they're needing from God this morning, put a hand on their shoulder and say, Jesus, bring your kingdom. Give them what they need today. Father, I pray right now That you would bring your kingdom, bring your spirit, bring your rule and your reign into these people's lives. Provide for them the evidence of your kingdom, the evidence of your goodness. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Now make your way to those who are standing. Look around where you're at. And just go over. Those of you who are standing and have a need, just raise your hand so they can see you as people are moving around. Hold your hand up until someone's there to pray with you or a half a dozen people are there to pray with you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Father. Bring your grace. He gives us his power and his authority to see his kingdom come. The rest of you can just stand and let's worship as God is moving. Father that's our desire we want you to be the center of our lives the center of this church come and just bring your kingdom bring healing we speak to the conditions represented in this room Lord let your kingdom come and slice in and heal diseases take away pain Restore bodies. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Show Your power. Father, lift up those who are are brokenhearted, those who are oppressed, heavy of heart. Come, Lord Jesus. Bring Your kingdom, Your sovereign reign into those places. Let us see what You're doing, Lord. Come and manifest your good reign and rule. Father, we hand to you the relationships of, that, that weigh us down, concern for others, concern for f- friends, relatives, parents, children. You are on the throne, Lord, and your kingdom is slicing in. Give us the confidence To see and to know that you are at work. Lord, we we exchange the heaviness that we carry for a peace that goes beyond the circumstances. Come Holy Spirit. Father, we want to be a people. We want to be a church that just hungers for more. It's just thirsty, not satisfied for a a heavenly reality that is just pie in the sky for the future. Allow us to be a church that grabs hold more and more of your intentions, your power, your purposes, your plan. Come Holy Spirit and establish kingdom of God in our homes and our family in this church grip us by the reality of an open heaven in Jesus name all God's people said Amen. If you're getting prayer just allow God to continue if you wish otherwise God bless you and walk in the awareness, the reality of open heaven. Ask God just to tap you on the shoulder and remind you that he is with you and in you this week. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.